the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Any other factors? Not a- the following program is sponsored Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy uncovers the secret to real life. Solomon rode the gravy train of material gain to the end of the line. But he tells us when you get to the end of the gravy train, materialism is a road to nowhere. And Solomon realized what we will realize hopefully sooner rather than later is that the best things in life are not things. The giver of life is the one who can give us life. King Solomon had it all, so when he tells us that life apart from God is meaningless, we should sit up and listen. That's our subject today on Know the Truth. Our teacher, Philip DeCourcy, underscores the biblical warning that we can gain the whole world and lose our soul. The truth is that the pursuit of riches and knowledge without God can be as futile as a child chasing pretty bubbles. For today's lesson in Ecclesiastes, Philip has given us some background on the life and times of Solomon. Let's listen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon is on a search. He's seeking to find out the secret to life. What is it that gives life its significance and its substance? Where is it found? In whom is it found? And in this passage, starting at chapter 1 and verse 12 through to chapter 2 and verse 11, Solomon looks for the key to life. Um, along the path of human knowledge, along the path of pleasure, and along the path of endeavor and accomplishment. When we last left Solomon, he was sitting in the library of the University of Jerusalem, pouring through the books of some of the best thinkers and philosophers of his day, trying to find in their writings, in their musings, the secret to life. Something that would add some weightiness to this fleeting life of ours. The more he studied, the more he saw, according to verse 15 of chapter 1, that life, for the most part, remains a riddle. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Life is untidy, and no amount of studying, no amount of human reflection will put all the pieces satisfactorily together. We see in verse 18 that he learned that the more you know, the less you know. The more you know about a subject, you're left feeling that there's so much more still to know. And sometimes what you know, you wish you didn't know. And so in verse 18, he says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wisdom didn't do it. The pursuit of knowledge wasn't the silver bullet that Solomon thought it might be. With his mind, he sought enlightenment. 
But it all remained a grasping for the wind. It all remained madness and folly, according to verse 17. School teacher wrote a note back to the parents of a little boy, and it read, If ignorance is bliss, your son is destined to have a happy life. And there's a sense in which Solomon comes to this conclusion. The less you know, the better off you are, because the cuckoo cannot be made straight, and no amount of books offers to us the key to life. So he moves on in a search. He leaves the halls of learning for the banquet hall. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. Solomon changes tact here. He begins to fish in another pool. He's going to test his heart with gladness. Did you notice that? Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now. He's leaving the library, and he's going down to the banqueting hall. He's going to have a good time. Maybe that's the answer. He's going to test his heart with mirth. Now, this isn't a scientific test. This is a practical experiment. Solomon has initially concluded that life is vanity, fleeting, futile, It's a waste of time and toil and tears when you really get down to it. And as he looked at life through general observation, he saw that in the rising and setting of the sun endlessly. He saw that in the rivers that pour into the sea, but the sea is never filled and never full, just like his heart. But now he's moving on. What I've concluded through general observation, I'm going to test a second time through practical personal experiment. So Solomon leaves the halls of learning for the banquet hall. Solomon's going to party his way to happiness. Education has no final answer. He came away with more questions and answers. And so given that reality, faced with those stubborn facts that result in human depression in the face of human death, Solomon decides the best way to deal with vanity and the impending certainty of death is to ignore them through unfettered pleasure. Okay, maybe that's the way. Just enjoy yourself while you can, because that's about the best you can do. For the king, a good time is the answer to those bad feelings and ugly facts. Life had left a bad taste in Solomon's mouth, and he decided to wash it all down with a cocktail of pleasure. Did you notice that the word pleasure appears four times in these uh, opening verses of chapter 2? Look at verse 1. I say to my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Again, that's repeated in verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them, and I did not withhold my, from my heart pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. Solomon gave himself to what we might call hedonism. He closed the books, and he cracked open the champagne. What's hedonism? Hedonism is the making pleasure the one all-encompassing aim of your life. And that's what Solomon sought to do here. Literally, the king of Jerusalem, he tells us here, and we'll look at it for a few moments, he gives himself to wine, he gives himself to women, and he gives himself to song. Wine, women, and song. He's got a cocktail here that surely is going to sweeten his life. Surely it's going to bring joy where there's despair and unhappiness. Let the good times roll. That's what Solomon says here. And you know what? The path he's going down is the path that many have gone down. It's the path that many of our neighbors and friends, and maybe mistakenly some of us, are going down. 
Jeff Goldblum, the actor, he says this, quote, live and love is how I organize my life. In fact, it is not only a part of my teaching and acting, but my chief endeavor. See, he's a hedonist. Do you hear that? I organize my life around just living and loving. It's my chief endeavor. And here's the final part of that quote. Get the banality out of the way. Put on your clothes and have fun. That's going to do it, isn't it? We'll be glad we, when we come to our death, that's what we did with our lives. We partied. That's what gives your life significance and substance, isn't it? Well, Solomon tried it. And you know what? What he introduces, the fact that he tried it in verse 1, he wastes no time telling us that that experiment was a complete failure. Come now, I will test you with mirth, verse 1. Therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, and while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly. Solomon is here to tell us that after he drank his wine to the bottom of the glass, he saw his sad reflection in the bottom of the glass. The weekend party raised his spirits temporarily, but Monday morning came with a bump as he bumped up against the, the futility of life. The problems and the perplexities remained, and you'll find them on Monday morning. But what did he try? Let's take a few minutes and just go down this passage. He tried laughter, wine, women, song, and all the happiness that money could buy. And I'm just going to cover that because this is the path that our culture's on. This is the, the motif and, uh, and the mark of many lives in Southern California. They live the week for the weekend. Life is worth it if you get to laugh, enjoy some wine, the company of a woman or a meal companion. Let's go down the list. Look at laughter, verse 2. I said of laughter, madness and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Now, Solomon tried laughter. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I don't think so. Proverbs 17, 22, what does it say? A merry heart is a good medicine. It is. Basically, if you and I cannot take a joke or give a joke, we need to take some medicine. The Bible doesn't put... I'm a premium on uh, sadness or sobriety. Humor has its place. But listen, stacked up against the harsh realities of life, humor is only light relief. Humor at best is an intermission to the pain. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 6 says of laughter what? For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is vanity. Solomon's taking the picture of some thorns or twigs. They burn. They make a lot of noise. They crackle. They flare up and flash. And for a moment, they grab all your attention as they burn under the pot or under the kettle. But then they're gone like the laughter of a fool. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 13. In the same book that tells us that humor, laughter, or merriment is a good medicine, the same book brings us back down to earth. Okay, it's laughter isn't the elixir of life because even laughter, says Proverbs 14, 13, even in laughter, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief. You can smile with a frowning heart. People can smile and yet inside they're all broken and burdened because at the end of the day, life is no laughing matter. 
And Solomon came to see that. I said of laughter madness. He's not down on laughter. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, he'll tell us there's a time to laugh. But it's temporary relief. It's not the key to life. Don't make it any, anything more than it is. I said of laughter, madness. But then you have wine. Look at verses 3 to 4. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men. You know, that's what he's trying to find out here. Where's the secret to life? What do you have to do to make life worthwhile? Surely I can find a book in the library that will answer that question. And he comes out of the University of Jerusalem, scratching his head, his, his brow furrowed with anxiety. No, it's not there. So I'm going to test my heart with mirth, laughter. It's madness. Okay, I'm going to drink a good glass of wine and drown my sorrows. Maybe that brings some gratification to the heart. Solomon knew how to throw a garden party, by the way. Like you and I couldn't believe. The laughter would be loud. There was a lot of mirth and merriment. The food would be plentiful. For the sake of time, I'm not going to take you there. But if you go to 1 Kings 4, 20 through 23, you're given a day's menu. All the oxen and the, and the sheep that would have been slaughtered. And, our, and at our best estimation is there was enough food detailed in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20 through 23, that would feed 20,000 people. Big garden party, right? 20,000 people. And the, the food would be plentiful and the wine would flow freely. And if you go to 1 Kings 10, verse 21, the wine was poured into golden goblets. All of Solomon's goblets were made out of gold. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this guy knew how to throw a party. There was music, there was fine food, it was high society. Did that do it, Solomon? No. Still thirsty, still hungry. Song, verse 8, he has male singers and female singers. Solomon liked to be serenaded, and he massed a chorale of singers and an orchestra of musicians to drown out the offbeat notes of a disharmonious world. Not everybody in Israel enjoyed music. Solomon got to enjoy it. In fact, he wrote songs according to 1 Kings 4, and he amassed himself some of the best singers and musicians in the country. You've got to you know, imagine this garden party, possibly 20,000 people, food galore, the finest wine, high-class music, the who's who of Israel's society. Solomon's walking around like everybody else, you know, raising their glasses and high-fiving and having a ball. But inside, he's coming to this conclusion. This isn't it either. This isn't doing it for me. Oh, yeah, the musical notes carried Solomon to another place, allowing him to enjoy a vacation from life and its harsh realities. But you know what happens with vacations, friends? What? They come to an end and it's back to work, and it's back to college, and there's no escaping that. And while music, and I love music, it's a gift from God, and I'm sure you love music, and the, the notes of a particular singer or a particular song can carry us to another place, and thank God for that. They won't allow us to stay there. Solomon says, hey, I tried it. Tried women. Verse 8, if you've got a good reference Bible, you'll notice that at the end of verse 8, musical instruments, there's a marginal note that it brings us to realize that this 
this verse can be variously translated. In some versions, the New King James here translates it musical instruments, but others will translate it concubines. The Hebrew word used here has been found in Egyptian letters that speak of concubines or related to a word that speaks of concubines. And so I think we've got here is the fact that, that, that Solomon had many, many concubines. If you go to 1 Kings 11 verse 3, he had 300. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And for the most part, those concubines, those bevy of beauties, their basic role was indeed to please Solomon sexually. That was perhaps the royal icing on the cake of pleasure. And yet Solomon says, I, I was still left feeling that there was something more. And our sex-crazed society needs to hear what Solomon is saying. Sexual fulfillment and sexual fantasy doesn't procure or provide salvation from the emptiness of life. And we have learned that, and Solomon learned that. The sexual revolution of the 60s, has it brought the freedom and the fulfillment it promised? No, it has brought divorce. It has brought teenage pregnancies. It has brought a pandemic of sexual diseases. It didn't bring freedom. It brought bondage. We're jaded by sex. Advertisements, watch the movies, listen to the commentators in our culture. This is where fulfillment is found. Everything is being sexualized. And someone says, hey, I had 300 concubines, let alone 700 wives. I had everything a man can imagine sexually. And I want to tell you, it's all a chasing of the wind. I enjoyed all that money could buy. And yet, I still felt bankrupt. He enjoyed laughter, wine, women, song, and all that money could buy. He tells us in verse 7 and 8 that he acquired male and female servants. He had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all who were in Jerusalem before him. Solomon has so much wealth that in his day they didn't even count silver. It was as common as stones. You read about that back in 1 Kings chapter 10. Solomon rode the gravy train of material gain to the end of the line. But he tells us when you get to the end of the gravy train, the line is a dead end. Materialism is a road to nowhere. While his stomach may be full with the finest of food, and his was, he was still starving in his soul. And Solomon realized what we will realize, hopefully sooner rather than later, at the least cost to ourselves and our walk with God, is that the best things in life are not things. Things won't give us what we think they will. Only God can do that. The giver of life is the one who give us life. David Jeremiah, in his helpful book I recommended to you on Ecclesiastes, Searching for Heaven and Earth, says, We try stuffing runaway materialism into the empty pockets of our souls, but the pockets have holes in them, and we never achieve a feeling of real existential satisfaction. Jesus will pick this up, won't they? As we close in Luke 12, tells the story of a man who was building bigger barns and expanding his kingdom. He was anticipating being able to kick back, to drink and eat and be merry. Oh, sounds familiar. That's the dream, isn't it, Solomon? Well, that's the American dream, isn't it, Solomon? It's really a nightmare if you listen to what I'm going to tell you. 
But here we have the story of a man gets it all, and then it says, but that night God required a soul. And then you've got this comedy, and whose will these things be? And Jesus says, hey, that's the story of a man who's not rich towards God. The impoverished life is the life that's not rich towards God. The impoverished life is the life that doesn't grow the soul to a place of health and strength. The impoverished life is the life that doesn't give away stuff to people that God wants us to minister to. The impoverished life is the life that doesn't live for those things beyond death, doesn't make time a servant of eternity. I may have told you this story before of the guy's not far from death. He's lying in a downstairs bedroom. His family realizes the end is near, and they're actually making preparations for the funeral. As the old guy lies there, and the end is near, he smells wafting across the air his favorite cookies. His wife has baked some chocolate chip cookies, and so he rolls out of the bed, and he gathers up all the strength he can, and he, he, he stumbles towards the kitchen to put his hand on some of those cookies. And he's just about to touch and taste when the spatula comes down, and, he, and his wife says, leave those alone there for your funeral. <laughs> Death is the spatula that wraps us on the knuckles and reminds us that what we think is ours to take and keep doesn't belong to us. Never has, never will. And that's why we've got to live for those things beyond death. That's why we've got to be rich towards God, not live for those things that we'll leave behind. Let's pray. Father, we're learning so much from Solomon. This ancient book speaks with such relevance to our culture today. Lord, as David Jeremiah has reminded us, we stuff our pockets with runaway materialism. We think that joy and happiness is just around the corner. That newer car, that better house, those fancier clothes, that next experiment, that next experience, that next vacation, that next thing. Lord, the pockets of our lives have holes in them and those things never do it because we were made for you, made by you, for you. Help us indeed to be rich towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're learning to honor God with all we are, all we have, here on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is just one part of the Quest for the Best series. You can catch up on any message you might have missed when you visit us online at ktt.org or order individual messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. And if you're new to Know the Truth, on behalf of Pastor Philip, let me say welcome. It's Philip DeCourcy's mission to provide bold and convicting Bible teaching that aligns your life with God's truth for a life of meaning and significance. And that's not all. To help you in your walk of faith, Philip would like to send you today's message on CD as his gift to you. Chasing Pretty Bubbles is a message you'll enjoy hearing again, or pass the CD to a friend who needs to know the true meaning of life. Ask for the free CD message when you call 888-644-8811. At Know the Truth, we're always looking to provide you with resources to strengthen your walk of faith. And this month, Pastor Philip has selected a book that explains why everything matters. Author Philip Ryken is taking the flip side of Ecclesiastes, 
in framing his commentary around the gospel pictured in this ancient book of wisdom. You'll be inspired to live your life more radically for Jesus Christ, who brings meaning to even the mundane moments of life. Request Why Everything Matters when you make a generous donation of $20 or more. So give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. It's your generosity that makes this ministry possible. So give today and don't forget to ask for this month's resource when your donation is $20 or more. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold biblical teaching coming up next time when Philip continues our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. can sometimes seem very superficial and cold and leave you longing for something much deeper, we've had the great privilege of going deep and sharing in the in-depth Bible teachings of Pastors Leroy and Rita Thompson of the radio program Going Deep on 105.1 FM WAVA. And now we are pleased to announce that we will continue here this anointed teaching on AM 780 WAVA. So please join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on AM 780 WAVA. That's Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on AM 780 WAVA for Going Deep. Messages that inspire, that give hope, life, and spiritual transformation, and a safe place that you can grow in your faith. I'm Bob Lapine from Family Life Today, and if this sounds like something you could use, visit ChristianRadio.com. ChristianRadio.com is a place where you can find hope when it seems like there is none. Now all of your favorite Christian radio stations can go with you wherever you go. Visit online today at ChristianRadio.com or download the free mobile app. In his play, as you like. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.